Let me just look at you for a minute, C3 Silverwater. You look good. They didn't tell me you looked so good. They didn't tell me I was coming to the good-looking campus. I didn't know that, but it's a little intimidating, all the good looks around here. And it's a diverse church. We love a diverse church. Our church is very diverse. We've got people from all over the world in our church. And uh, I just think it's the spice of life. I think it's a picture of heaven. Do you agree? A picture of heaven, people from all over the world coming together, worshiping one God. But I feel like I'm ready for the Word of God. You ready for some preaching this morning? Hey, well, while you're standing and while the band's with us, let's just open our Bibles real quick to, to the Psalms. Can you open to Psalms real quick? i got a word of, of encouragement today, a word that I feel is going to bless some people. And I want to read from the book of Psalms, and it's a, a Psalm of David. I want to read from Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, even if, everyone say even if. Even if if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Would you just go ahead and shove your neighbor and just say, you look confident today. Just give him a little shove. It's church. It's okay. They have to forgive you. Just give them a little shove so you're looking confident. And go with me to one more scripture real quick. Can I, I like the Bible, so I'm going to go to one more scripture. First Samuel chapter 23, verse 14. I'm going to read this real quick. It says, David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God did not let Saul find him. One day near Horish, David received the news that Saul was on his way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be king of Israel, and I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. Today I want to spend a little bit of time, and I want to speak into an area that I believe is important or or, or is is a conflict for most of us, whether you're a student here today, whether you're an engineer, or whether you're a pro athlete. I believe that All of us struggle in the area of confidence, specifically in seasons of crisis. Would you agree? And I believe that the Bible has some instructions for us, especially as we kick off a series in freedom. I want want to know what it looks like to, to live free. I want to know what a life fully free looks like. I'm hoping that freedom comes with some confidence. Would you would you hope the same? So I want to speak into that with a subject that I've entitled a calculated confidence. A calculated confidence. And I'm just going to go ahead and believe that you're going to be incl- like responsive today, that you're going to say amen, that, that, that you're going to channel your, your inner USA on the inside of you, if you have that. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Why don't you do something before you take your seats, find five people around you, give them a high five, and tell them they're looking fantastic. Go, go quick. Five people, five people. Thank you, worship team. You guys are incredible, especially that thing. Oh, that's amazing. So good. So good. Hey, well, let me introduce myself. We are C3 family, but but we are your U.S. cousins right now, even though we are Australian by birth. We do live in the United States. My name is Adam Smallcomb. This is my wife, the Velvet Hammer, Kira Smallcomb. And uh, we have our three daughters with us. Medea, our eldest, is 13 years old, and she's promised to remain single till she's 30. She made that commitment. When she was three, and I'm going to hold her to it, 
And we've got twin daughters as well, and I think they're in the kids' ministry today. Uh, but I'm pretty proud of my family. Our church is called Vibe Church, as Pastor Natalie said before. And we are in the San Francisco Bay Area. We now have four campuses. Our latest campus we launched two weeks ago in the city of Oakland. Anybody heard of Oakland? Oakland is a very political city, home of the Black Panthers, uh, a, 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 very, a very dangerous city by, by some measure, but, but already after two weeks, we already have 100 people in that campus, all of them from Oakland, getting set on fire for Jesus. How many people knows that, know that, that, that to simply bring light, you just need to go into dark places? So often I hear people saying, you know, God, they pray prayers like, God, would you let my, let my light shine brighter? I tell people, you just have to go where it's dark and watch how bright your light will shine. Amen. And so that's what our plan is with, with planting churches, and God has definitely blessed us. But I don't want to spend too much time in, in formalities. I do want to honor your pastors, pastors uh, Hartley and Natalie Taylor, some of the finest people on planet Earth, and, uh, and good-looking as well. And, uh, and, and it's well-known fact that Hartley did give up a, a uh, reputable modeling career to be a pastor. Um, so it's, hey, your gain, your gain, Amen. Amen. But let's get into the word of let's get into the word of God this morning. I want to give you some context to Psalms. I got a, I got a short message, but but hopefully an encouraging message for you. And, and, and I want to give you some background and context to to the book of Psalms uh, that that we're going to read from. Because when reading Psalms, I feel like or any book for that matter, there are some tools that are important to approach and to apply when reading Scripture that will help us understand what the writer is trying to relay. And any Bible scholar or theologian will tell you this, that one of the most essential and critical tools to employ when reading Scripture is the tool called context. How many people would agree? Context is key. There, there are so many. It's crazy to me how many dangerous doctrines and ideologies have been birthed simply by reading Scripture out of context. By applying the Scripture to anything you seem fit just because you want to fit it that way. In fact, we do it all the time. It's crazy. We, we do it with, with grand Bible stories where we take some of the uh, most, most amazing Bible stories in the Scriptures and we, we apply them down to our little, our little personal setting. You know, like stories like in Joshua, we see how God brought the Israelites into the promised land and, and the first city they encounter is the city called Jericho. How many people know that story? And God gives Joshua a specific strategy of persistence Meaning, hey, if you walk around the city seven times, I will give you that, that city seven times. And it's funny to me how, how that was a specific faith strategy of persistence God gave to Joshua to overcome an opposing city. Yet I'll hear people talk about how, how their Jericho is a weight loss desire that they want to get to. And if I just keep going to the gym, it'll work. And I get it. I get it. Our job, Pastor Hartley, Pastor Natalie's job, my job, our job is to make the Bible come alive. It's... It's to apply the Bible into your world. So, so whether, it's, whether it's Joshua facing the Jebusites or the Amorites or it's you fighting the Cellulites, it all works, amen? It all works. You can apply biblical scripture into your context, amen? But context is key. Do you agree? Context is key, especially when it comes to the idea of confidence. What kind of confidence do we have? And I, and I want to kind of sp uh, speak into the area of confidence today, especially about a true confidence, not a false confidence. 
Kira and I, I remember when we first got married, we lived in Australia. We lived in Newcastle. Anybody know where that is, Newcastle? Any, oh, we have some Novocastrians. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Pray for them. And uh, we had... We, we came from, from Newcastle. I remember when we first got married, we wanted to do just some married things. You know, it's just like doing what you normally do, but, 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 but in a married way, meaning we don't want anybody else around. We just want to do it as a couple. And our favorite thing, our, one of the first things we did as a married couple is we went to a carols by candlelight together. And we're out in the field with thousands of people, but we had our own little picnic rug and, and we had our own little cheese board and our, our wine and we were married, so it was all good. We had our wine and, and we were all good. And we had a great evening together, like hand in hand, singing Christmas carols. It was super cute. It was an amazing little night. Uh, just, just being married, you know, just doing married life. And, and I remember as we were leaving the Christmas carols, it, didn't, it wasn't really that cute when there's, how many people know, thousands of people getting out together. It's, it's crowded now. So what was cute is now crowded and I'm not real happy. And, and, and I don't like crowds at the best of time, you know, which is kind of awkward when you're trying to grow a big church and you don't really like crowds. But, 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 but I was in this crowd and I, and I noticed these, these two guys who thought it was hilarious to all of a sudden in the midst of the crowd, just as they were walking, throw themselves back on people. They'd had a little bit too much eggnog, if you know what I mean. They, 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 they were a little bit tipsy. And so, and so I didn't think that this was that funny. And I thought, I'm married man now. I feel like it's a public service to all of humanity to correct these men. And I've got a new wife. And I remember saying these words. I remember saying, hey, honey, watch this. <laughs> and so I went up behind these two guys and I positioned myself behind them. And I noticed that every time... Just before he went to throw himself back, he would kind of glance back, make sure someone was there, and he'd throw himself onto them. And so I'm walking along, one eye on him, pretending like I'm not watching. I noticed he was about to do it, and as he, as he launched back, I grabbed him by the back of the collar, and I dropped him to the ground. Not only did I do that, I stood over him, and I said, boom shakalaka. Now, you can't blame someone for what they do in the heat of the moment, okay? You can't blame them. There was adrenaline rushing. And, and even in my own self, I was wondering what I was saying as I was doing it. And I kind of was trailing off. I said, boom, chuckalucka. Like, what am I doing right now? <laughs> Needless to say, I was standing over him. And then what I failed to, to, to consider was that it wasn't just two guys, but there was a group of 10 guys that, that I didn't consider. And as soon as I had the shakalaka out, I had eight guys on me pushing me and shoving me. Now, I'm, now I've realized I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead and I've made her a widow. This is fantastic. I'm literally, they're pushing me and they're shoving me. Now the whole crowd have, have separated and the whole crowd has circled around us. And I'm watching, I'm, I'm thinking, what do I do? I'm literally having an, a dialogue in my mind thinking, Adam, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take one punch to the chin. You're going to go down and you're going to twitch because no one wants to hit a twitching guy. You know, once they twitch, they're done. You know what I mean? So I thought, fake the twitch. And as I'm thinking this, out of nowhere comes my brand new wife. Out of nowhere, my hero, my heroine. The velvet hammer, Smira, she comes out of nowhere and she just pushes in front of me and she starts shoving these guys, all of them. She's pushing this guy, she's pushing that guy and she's like, you guys need to get out of here. Now the whole crowd who were quiet when I was going to get beat up and now behind us saying, yeah girl. And they're like, yeah, we're sick of you. She's talking for the whole crowd. Out of nowhere, I'm like, I'm in that moment thinking, she will fight my battles for me. 
Thank you, Jesus. Confidence comes in the form of a woman. How many women knew that? How many women already knew that confidence is a woman? Anybody? Any, 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 any? No, but okay. But I'm talking about a real confidence. And I want to give you some context to the idea of, of what confidence can look like in the life of a believer, especially as we see in Psalms. And what we have in Psalms when we read Psalms, Psalms can be broken up into different themes. You've got Psalms that are cries for rescue. You've got Psalms that are hymns of praise and thankfulness. You've got Psalms that, that, that are really kind of commemorating deliverance. But the overarching theme of Psalms, if you were to bring them all under one heading and under one kind of title, would be, would be confidence in the midst of crisis. The Psalmists do not hide the fact at all that they face seasons of crisis in their life. But yet somehow they find confidence even in the craziest seasons in life. Let me be clear, I'm not kind of talking about the type of confidence that looks really good on your dating profile. I'm, I'm talking about the kind of confidence that is required to walk out the Christian life against all odds, against all opposition, and even when you're under attack. Do you know that the enemy comes after your confidence more than anything else in this life? We often think that the enemy comes after our calling. But the Bible's really clear in, in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, in fact, and it, and Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, meaning that God's calling for your life cannot be negotiated, it cannot be retracted. So the enemy knows this, that if I cannot take your calling in life, then he'll go after the next best thing, which is your confidence, hoping that if he can get you to lose your confidence, then maybe you'll abandon your calling. That's how the enemy works. And there are far too many callings in this life that have been abandoned because of a confidence in crisis. You know, President Jimmy Carter once gave a famous speech known as the crisis of confidence speech. And in that speech, he expressed how the greatest threat facing the nation of America was a growing doubt about the meaning of their own lives and the loss of unity of purpose for the nation. And the truth is this, that... that Doubt can not only cripple a nation, but the fight of every single believer is a fight for confidence. I'm trying to help some people today. I'm trying not to just come in here like a guest preacher, but come in here like family, like C3 family, and really give you something on Sunday that's going to help your Monday. That's my goal today. I want to give you something that's going to help you in your career, something that's going to help you with your friendships, something that's going to help you in, your, in your finding your, your, your partner in life, something that's going to help you on Monday morning when you're thinking, why do I even get up today? Why do I even have to face the day? It all comes down to confidence. This is what we find in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, we find David, a courageous young man, a confident young man, a called young man, who, whose confidence is now in, in question. And in this passage that we specifically see, we see him being pursued by King Saul. He's on the run. His life is under attack. His life is under threat. He's afraid for his life. And Whilst in 1 Samuel we see the storyline of what's happening, what we find in Psalm 27 is actually what David was thinking in that time. I like how the Scripture will give you an insight look into not just what they were living out, but what they were also experiencing, thinking, and processing in their heart. So I want to give you an idea of what it looks like to have a calculated confidence, knowing that confidence doesn't always come so easy. But let me look at this. And in Psalm 27, we find David expressing his conviction. The first thing you need is conviction. 
You can write that down. If you're a note taker, if you're a note taker, there's more chance you go to heaven, so I would suggest you take notes. David writes this, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? To have confidence in this life, you need to carry a deep conviction. Can I get an amen? amen. It's our conviction of who God is. It's our conviction of what God is capable of that governs our attitudes and our actions in life. It's the assurance by, by how we live our lives and what governs our beliefs. It's our conviction of who Christ is, of His grace, of His love, of His mercy, of His power for us that actually become the foundation of our lives. It's a conviction that, that, that knows if God said it, it will happen. It's a bold belief. It's an assurance that despite circumstance, my God is for me. You know, the Apostle Paul carried this kind of conviction in life. His conviction that God had called him to preach actually wasn't, wasn't prohibited by the fact that he found himself in prison. If you had a conviction that God had called you to preach, but then you find yourself behind prison bars, then you might think that maybe God got this wrong because I can't preach anymore. But I like what Paul's uh, conviction was. That he said, you know what? Despite my circumstance, God's called me to preach. So if I can't preach from a platform right now, maybe I can pen some letters. And we find Paul begins to write letters to the churches, which work for our ammunition today. The letters that we have are what Paul came because of the circumstance that he was in, but he didn't relegate to the fact that my call can't work out in my life, I can still pen some letters. And he wrote letters like we see to, to Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and a deep conviction. Paul knew the power of a deep conviction. Paul knew very well that we need to have a deep conviction in this life. David had it. That no matter the external attack in his life, he had a deep conviction that God was with him. This was his conviction, in fact, that he, his circumstances, he viewed his circumstances through the filter of his convictions. Rather than filtering his convictions through the filter of his circumstances. That's what we do, don't we? we that's often how we approach life. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at my circumstances as a filter, and, and if my circumstances aren't good, then God mustn't be good. If my circumstances are, are bad, then God, where are you? But David didn't do this. David looked at his circumstances through the filter of his conviction, knowing my God is good, and despite what's around me, my God is true. I'm going to put my sights on Him. In other words, David said, if God's for me, why should I be afraid? Because he knows that the Lord is his fortress and his protection. In fact, another name for conviction is Assurance. You know, we, we have an assurance in this life. We have an assurance of salvation. It's what Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us. It says that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. And this needs to be an internal dialogue that we have with ourselves. We need to have a confident dialogue. We need to have a, a reassurance of who God is and what He's called us to. We need to remind ourselves of our convictions. We we need, to, we need to understand that God is the foundation of my life. I'm trying to set a platform for where I want to go this morning. And I want to I help you get a foundation in your life that based on your convictions is what birth, gives birth to your faith. Your convictions. And there is no formula to faith that I can give you that doesn't require Jesus at the center of every element. It's not possible. But not only do we need a conviction in this life, we, we need to have that conviction 
become a confession. Could you write down the word confession? It can't stay as a conviction. It can't stay deep within you. It needs to move from a conviction into a confession. David said this, verse 2, when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Everyone say, they will. What a bold confession from David. They, they will stumble and fall. Not they might, not that they could, but they, they will. This confession needs to be an extension of your conviction. It's, known as, it's just known as speaking God's word. Speaking God's word over your circumstances, speaking God's word into your environment. There is life and death in the tongue. What you speak creates the atmosphere of your life and will activate your faith. Most of the time, God doesn't actually give us more confidence. Did you know that? We pray prayers like, like God, can, can you just make me more confident? I got a job interview. God, would you give me confidence? But most of the time, God doesn't give you more confidence. In fact, when God gives you gifts, He gives you gifts in seed form. Did you know that? He gives you gifts in seed form. He gives you the seed of it. When God calls you, gives you a gift of prophecy, He doesn't all of a sudden make you a, a, a divine orator of, of prophetic unknown. No, no, he, he gives you the seed of encouragement. And as you begin to exercise that seed, it begins to grow and it begins to produce fruit in your life. Well, we see this with confidence, in fact, with Gideon. You know, when Gideon was found by God, he was hiding in a wine press, fearful, afraid at the task that God had called him to. And yet, despite his fear, the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, go in the strength that you have. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, I'm going to just give you all this confidence and I'm going to give you all this strength. All of a sudden, you're going to wake up and you're going to be this bold person. No, he says, go in the confidence you have. But Gideon didn't have any confidence. You see, God wants us to exercise the seed on the inside of us, the conviction that God is with us. And as we begin to speak it into our world, it begins to bear fruit on that seed that God put deep inside the soil of our lives. Amen. Amen. And your confidence is always connected to your confession. When you begin to align your words with what God says, that's when you begin to see what He sees. It's as you speak the Word of God, it creates a context for your faith to grow. Can I be real honest with you? You know, when we started our church, uh, I, I, had, I had a lot of confidence. People tell me all the time, man, moving from Newcastle, uh, most people in the world don't even know where Newcastle is, but moving from Newcastle to, to San Francisco, that, man, they're like, how, how did you do that? But, but I tell them all the time, back then, we had so much confidence. Man, it was hard to derail our confidence. And, and I say that we had confidence because, because really we had, we had nothing to lose. We had nothing to lose in this life. We, we had everything to gain. We had no people. We had no money. We had no influence. So if we, if we wrecked everything, it mattered to nobody. But when you start to get some things in life, how many people know that that's when your confidence starts to feel some pressure? It's when you start to get some people and you start to get some buildings and you start to get some, some influence and you start to have a gathering. Then, then your confidence is really tested. This is what we see with David. You know, when David was a young shepherd boy, he, he went up against a lion. He went up against a bear. He had the confidence to face a giant. But yet now in this season of his life, he's being pursued by a king and his confidence is in crisis. How is it that you can be confident in one season, but yet lose all confidence in another season of life? Anybody lived that before? Anybody had confidence in one season, but when it comes to a, another, maybe you were confident in your career, but, but when it comes to having kids, now I'm not so confident. 
different seasons, but, but I believe God wants to give us a, a calculation for confidence that will help us no matter the season that we, we face. And there's something that needs to be added to confession. There's something that you need to add to confession. If, if it was all about confession, if, if simply your confession produced confidence in your life, then anybody who's ever been to a Tony Robbins seminar would never have confidence issues again, amen? But there's something that we need to add to our confidence. There's more to this calculation. And what you need to also consider is the condition of your heart. Would you write down condition? Because David says this, though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. I'm talking about the way you feel. I'm talking about the circumstances in life. I'm talking about having the confidence when, when fear surrounds you. Fear is the enemy's greatest tool that he uses against God's people. Did you know that? Fear, fear is what he uses to steal your confidence. But I like David's response. Though fear surrounds me, I will not be afraid. But he doesn't say I will not feel afraid. He says I will not be afraid. Because I don't know about you, but I can't help it when I feel afraid. I can't help it. There are seasons in life that I certainly feel afraid. So am I meant to just lie to myself? Am I meant to just pretend like I'm confident even though I feel like I'm failing? No, no, no. There is a difference from feeling and being. And what it is, is, is even though David says, even though my enemies surround me, I will not let them overcome me because my heart chooses not to be afraid. Can I get a church in Silverwater that are going to praise Jesus today? I will not be afraid. I the condition of my heart is good, even though my circumstances aren't the way I designed them, even though my circumstances don't line up with what God said. Did you know that in the Bible there is a constant elevation of sound oversight? God constantly elevates sound oversight because what you see doesn't always line up with what God said. But, but I like what Elijah said to, said to his servant. He said, hey, go and check out because I hear the sound of a mighty rainstorm. The servant goes and checks, comes back seven times saying, I don't see anything. But Elijah heard it. He, he heard what God spoke. He heard something. And he says, go and check again. And on the seventh time, he comes back and says, well, I see a small cloud. I see but a small cloud. And this is what God wants to do. He says, when circumstances in your life don't look like what God said, would you be close enough to God to hear His Word? Would you begin to speak His Word? Would you begin to conf confess the Word? And your confession dictates the atmosphere of your heart. It's a heart condition. Just because you feel afraid doesn't mean you need to be afraid. Your heart doesn't need to be defeated. Fear and discouragement corrupt confidence. I'm going to show you one more psalm. It says this in Psalm 42. This is a crazy psalm. This is a psalmist depressed. It says, day and night I have only tears for food. I mean, that's pretty depressing. Would you agree? While my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? He goes on to talk about how his heart's breaking, how he used to lead a procession of people. He used to go up to the house. He used to be joyful, this guy. Did you know that discouragement is a conversation that you have with yourself? Why doesn't anybody love me? Why won't anybody date me? None of you have that conversation, but well, it's a conversation that you have with yourself. But there is another conversation that you have with yourself, you need to have with yourself. Check out what he pivots in verse 5. He says, why am I discouraged? That's a good question to ask yourself sometimes. Why am I feeling this way? What, what sense is there to feeling this? He says, why is my heart so sad? He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again. 
my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged. He doesn't deny the fact of the circumstance and the situation and how he's feeling. But he does say, I will remember you. In the midst of his discouragement, he, he arrests his heart and he changes his perspective and says, why am I feeling like this? If my God is for me, why should I tremble? My God is with me, amen? You need to encourage yourself in the Lord. Is this going all right so far? You, you sticking with me? Like a couple more minutes. Can I give you one more element to calculating confidence? To find confidence in every season, you need to have a healthy consideration. You can write that word down, consideration. See, David wrote at the end of Psalm 23, uh, 27 verse 3, he says, even if I'm attacked, even if, I will remain confident. I like that David added this into his psalm, remain because so often we find ourselves so busy trying to find faith for what lies ahead, aren't we? What's in the future? What's in the unknown? But did you know that fear and faith both exist in the same space? Fear and faith both, ex both exist in the realm of the unknown. This was the case for Joshua when facing Jericho. What kept them out of the promised land was the fear of the enemy, the the, the, the spy said the fortified cities. Jericho was a fortified city. And what they were afraid of was keeping them at bay. But what they were unaware of, because they get some spies that come back, and what they find out from the spies and what produces confidence in Joshua to go up against the enemy is he said that the enemy spies reported that, that the enemy had fear in their hearts, that their hearts were melting at fear at the sight of the Israelites. And it's crazy to us to, to think of what's in the future we're afraid of because it holds so much unknown. But faith is also in the same space as fear. Faith is in the same space because knowing that God can. And I like when we look at, at David. David had seasons in his life where he, didn't, he, he was confident, but now he's on the run from King Saul. And it doesn't add up to me how, how the giant killer can be afraid of a king. How a guy who fought a lion and a bear with his own hands can now be afraid of a, of a king. But, but it reminds me of this, and I like what David does here. He doesn't just give us a description of confidence. He actually gives us a demonstration of confidence. He says, I will remain like I have before, like I did when I was young. I will remain. In other words, what David is saying, when your confidence is in crisis, you need, to, you need to take a different position because you're looking forward, worried about what will be. You're looking forward about how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to pay my mortgage? How are my kids going to go through life in the condition that it's in with all the chaos in this world and all the political drama and all the uncertainty of life? Fear comes and it, it comes against your confidence, wondering how am I going to navigate this life? Because we're looking forward, we're, we're holding fear for the future. But David says, I will remain he says, I will remain, meaning that when you're looking forward and you're finding it difficult to find faith, to, to muster faith, to find confidence for what lies ahead, he says, you need to be able to look back over your life. Don't just, don't just, I know, I know this seems strange because you're, you're taught about vision, having a vision for your life and, and looking into the future, but what you see doesn't always line up with what God said. 
So David says, in those seasons, when I find it difficult to have faith for the future, I've learned to look back and consider what God's done in my past. And when I look back, I see that God was with me against the lion. And God was with me against the bear. And God was with me. Even when I went up against a decadent Philistine, God was with me. And if He's been with me then, surely God will be with me again. I will remain. If God brought me this far, He's not going to leave me now. If God brought me here, he, surely he will, be, he will be with me. Remain confident. Don't lose your confidence. Look back. Keep strong. So I find this about a calculated confidence. I find that calculate, calculated confidence needs a conviction, a deep conviction within you, plus a confession. Amen. Speaking it out into the atmosphere. You need to consider the condition of your heart. Have I got fear overcoming me or is fear simply surrounding me? What's surrounding me will not overcome me. In a consideration, considering what God's done before. And if He did it before, He's able to do it again. If He brought me this far, if He brought me out of, out of, out of distance from Him and He brought me close to Him, then He's not going to leave me now. I've got to consider the promises of God, God's Word that He will never leave me, He'll never forsake me, amen. And I want to do something this morning. Can I get my, the team, team to come back? Because I want to I pray for some people this morning that have had a crisis of confidence. I want to pray for some people that have, have questioned their confidence. Maybe it's in the area of your career. Maybe it's in the area of your friendships or your family. Maybe, it's, maybe you've received a, a negative diagnosis and, and you've wondered, okay, is this how it's going to be? And, and it's robbed your confidence. It feels like it's stolen your confidence. And you found that that confidence has filtered and flowed into every other area of your life. Now you're doubting things you never thought you'd doubt before. You're finding that even getting up in the morning becomes difficult because your mind is flooded with all kinds of anxieties. This is not living a free life. Freedom, the Bible says God set us free for freedom. Why did God set Just to be free. So that we can wake up every day not intoxicated with doubt and and negativity and anxiety and depressive thoughts, but that we can wake up excited and expectant for today. N not anxious, but, but anticipating what God could do and what He can do. And it comes because the enemy steals our confidence. So why don't you stand to your feet right across this location, up in the balcony, up the back, all over. Let's, let's stand together, let's stand together, let's stand together. Because this is your moment to get your confidence back. Whether you've been waiting for confidence to come naturally, whether you've been hoping that somehow confidence would just wake up one day and then confidence is gonna be there like a gift. Now God said to Gideon, go in the confidence that you have. So I want us this morning to reach in and find the confidence that God gave us and to apply this calculation because I could go on, let me read this verse, verse four of Psalm 27. He says, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. I could add to this calculation. I could add to, to sustain confidence in this life, you need community. Amen. I could also talk about consistency because He says all the days of my life. 
that just by being around a community of believers, consistently coming to church every Sunday, coming, showing up, just by being here in the presence of God, in the presence of faith, confidence gets on you. It's not what's taught, but what's caught, amen. So when you're just in the atmosphere of believers, someone pats you on the back, says you can do it. Man, you're looking good today. Come on, keep your chin up. Just by being in the atmosphere consistently of the community of believers, confidence will come on you. I'm not gonna preach about that. I haven't got any time for that. But I do have a moment right now where I believe if we reach out to heaven and we reach out to God, that God will remind us of the confidence that He already deposited into our life. That if He called me, He's also equipped me. This is what God does. He doesn't just give you a calling or a job to do without the tools to do it. God also empowered you with His Spirit. And did you know that when God empowered you, He didn't leave anything out. He says, I have given everything, meaning everything that you need to fulfill that which God called you to do, you already have. You've just got to exercise it. You've just got to release it. You've just got to begin to confess it. You've just got to, God didn't hold anything back. When Jesus went to the cross, He didn't hold His arms like this. He stretched His arms out wide, giving everything, not holding anything back. He gave in excess, the Bible says more than what we need. And so right now, I wanna pray for some people that have been in a crisis of confidence. You know who you are. In fact, why don't we do something right now? I said earlier that there is no formula for faith that I can give you that does not require Jesus at the center. There is no way I can talk about gaining confidence in this life without the essential and critical element being Christ Jesus Himself. And I wanna pray for some people today that maybe that's the first step that you need to take to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I've had doubt in this life. I've been confused about what my purpose is in this life and I need to put my faith in Jesus. So, or maybe you prayed that prayer before, but it's been some time where you've really trusted Him. You know what I'm talking about. You know that you put your faith in yourself. You put your faith in your finances. You, you put your faith in your family. You, you put your faith in your ability to navigate life. But, but you know how thin that is. You know how, how nervous that makes you to know that, that anything could change and then I'm on my own. So I wanna pray for some people. Why don't we do something? Right across this place, why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes real quick, just right across this place. Everyone under the sound of my voice. And because and, and, I wanna do something. I don't wanna embarrass you. I do wanna acknowledge you. And I want to empower you to say, hey, this is, this is me. This message was for me today. I needed, I needed my confidence back. I needed to have confidence produced on the inside of me. And if that's you right across this place while no one's looking around, if, if first, if you're saying, hey, I, I need to put my faith in Jesus for the first time, I'm going to pray for you. Or maybe you're saying, I put my faith in Him once, but man, I need to put my faith in Him again. I know I put my faith in myself. I'm putting my faith in Jesus again. If that's you while no one's looking around, I wanna pray for some people. So, so just give me a little wave while no one's looking. If that's you and you're saying, yeah, pastor, include me in this prayer. This sermon's for me, just give me a wave. I see that, I see that, I see that. Who else? Yes, I see that. Hands all over this place. Yes, I see that. Who else? Yes, 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 I see that. Who else is saying, yeah, pray for me, include me in this prayer. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I do need you to say, God, I acknowledge you today. God, I need you in my life. This is my moment. I need my confidence back. Who else? Yes, I see that. Up the back, down the middle. Yes, I see that. God, you see every hand up the top. I see that. Every heart, every single life right now, whether they're facing a crisis in their confidence or they've just been 
some uncertainty in their life. God, I thank you that, Lord, you have deposited confidence in the inside of us. And our confidence comes from the fact that we will never walk this life alone, that you are with us in every step. So God, would you see every hand as a heart right now, ready and willing to receive that boldness that comes from your spirit, that empowerment that comes from your calling, that confidence that comes from having Christ at the center of our life. God, we pray this right now in your mighty name. You know, I want to do something. Everyone look at me real quick. If I could just take one more minute, if that's okay. I want to take one more minute because, man, there are hands up all over this place and I feel the presence of God here. Do you feel faith in the atmosphere? Man, I feel faith in the atmosphere and I feel the very presence of God to set people free, to not walk back, to not look back, but to make this day that day of freedom where confidence will be your new coat that you wear, that confidence will go before you, that people aren't even going to recognize you. They're going to be like, man, who is this person? You used to be so timid but now you're so confident. So I want to do something really courageous. And, and we're speaking about confidence. You can't remain kind of comfortable and, and still be confident. It doesn't work that way. You need to leave comfort to be confident. Do you agree? So I want to do something. I want to ask, would all those people that raised their hand, and maybe even if you didn't, but you wish you had of, we're going to include you as well. Would you be so confident as to maybe just in a moment, step out of your seat, come and stand with me and let me pray with you? Would you be that crazy? Would you be that crazy today? Could we do that, church? So why don't you do that right now? Why don't you come? If you raised your hand,